G3 Assistance through Virginia's community colleges is your pathway to a new future, helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career, right where you are, right now. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. Coming up, he's been seeking retribution on WWE as of late, but I'm hoping I've caught him in the mood for more of a pleasant chat. Ali joins the show as ATB starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves. I'm excited for today's show, as if I'm not excited each and every week. This is a big one. I've been wanting to have this guy on the show for quite some time. He finally agreed, and I'm going to ask him about his charge, his pal, his cohort that nearly took my damn head off with a baseball bat. Please welcome the leader of retribution, Ali. Ali, appreciate you taking the time to hang out. It's been nice. I haven't been able to see you and catch up because you've been hanging out in the shadows. You finally emerged on Monday Night Raw, but I think we had a lot of catching up to do, man. But how are you? Good, Corey. How are you, man? Long time no see. I know. It's crazy. It's funny how, as big as this company is, how we can be on just different brands and feel like we're in two different worlds. It's crazy. Even sometimes on the same show, I some of my best friends on the same brand and I feel like I don't get to see them until we're working against each other or something, you know? Totally. Before we started recording, I was talking about how generally my TV day, I sit in the TV locker room with my iPad and whatever food I have amassed that morning and just hide out. Yeah. Peace of mind is hard to come by. But I want to start at the beginning when you first arrived in WWE. I know we've talked to the, the WWE Chronicle about your incredible journey to WWE uh, as far as your, you know, your past as a police officer and what an intriguing human being you are. I want to talk a little little wrestling today. Uh, yeah. More so your entry into the Cruiserweight Classic, which is kind of the first time that most of the WWE universe got eyes on you. And I didn't realize it. I was I remember watching it, but I didn't realize until I was doing a little homework this morning. You were actually an alternate. You weren't originally supposed to be in the Cruiserweight Classic. Right, man. Uh, as with anything that you're passionate about in life, there's extreme highs and there's a lot more extreme lows. And um, the the Cruiserweight Classic was just a, a tumultuous thing for me. It was that typical indie wrestler moment like that we've all, anyone that's you know done this can understand that I, you know, I thought this was the year that I'm going to hang up the boots or the kick pads or whatever you want to call them. And, you know, because I just wasn't getting any traction. Uh, a lot of my friends were blowing up on the indie scene. And like you mentioned, I was, a, I was a police officer at the time. So traveling all over the world, doing these tours in the UK and Japan just weren't feasible. Uh, sure. The number one thing for me at that time was providing for my family um, as, as a man should. And uh, so my dream came second. Uh, luckily, you know, I just emailed uh, WWE at the right time in the right place, not knowing that there was a cruiserweight classic at the time it was called the global cruiserweight tournament or something. Right. Like right. So I just emailed at the right time in the right place and was said, yeah, we, we've got a spot for you. And then, you know, William Ryu called and explained to me the whole process. And I was like, this is my, this is my opportunity. I'm in. And uh, a few weeks before the, the tournament, they released, the list of the 32 participants in the cruiserweight classic and my name's not on the list and everything just comes crumbling down. You know, sure. I told my wife, I told my friends, I, you know, I'm going to, you know, I frantically call and I go, what happened? And I'm, it was then explained to me that I'm not actually in the tournament. I'm a backup. I'm an alternate. And I said, well, how many alternates are there? 10. Oh, wow. So <laughs> now, 
now and, and and again i'm i don't have no shame in saying I, i'm a nobody at this point i have not traveled the world i'm not you know this uh you know world-class athlete like you know uh, so many of the participants and uh it was just a hard pill to swallow man you know i had this uh and a lot of stuff was going on personally as as we always have going on and i had to make a decision do i still get on this plane and go and kind of you know, swallow my pride and stand there like a good boy and, and, and hope to be called on. And I said, you're always going to ask yourself, what if, you know, right. just, just go. And I went and, you know, uh, there was an opening and, uh, Lindsay Dorado's opponent wasn't able to compete. And Lindsay and I are old friends that have competed along. And, you know, I owe the world to him because he immediately stepped up and said, give me Ali. And, you know, they reminded him that the, the segment that our match was, uh, the time slot was very, very small. And, it's, and he's like, yeah, that's why I want him because I know we oh. can get it done. And we went out there and I think we tore it up. I mean, obviously I'm here now. Um, but yeah, that was my, uh, you know, they, they, they cracked the door open a little bit and I kicked, I kicked the damn thing down. That's I, I never knew, heard that story from you, but I, I can relate as far as the the doubts when you're on the independence so long and you haven't got that break and you're kind of like, I, I went through the same thing. I had had my, my first son was born and, Real life, to your point, came in and I, I got a, a job as a nine one one dispatcher, and I was like, "Man, I, I got to provide for my for my family. This wrestling thing is probably just not going to happen." It's been fun, right. and the same thing. Out of the blue, I decided to, I got booked as an extra at TV. My my days off from nine one one happened to be Monday and Tuesday, and this is when Raw and SmackDown were back to back. So I took the booking on my off days. And I went in there looking as normal as I had ever looked. I had kind of grown my hair out and I was just kind of a normal, normal guy, so to speak. Right. And they went, Hey, what are you doing? Uh, you interested in a job? And I got a tryout. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm working. It's crazy how the world works. I can relate hundred percent. It's, it's insanity because at one point you kind of feel selfish, you know, when you have a family and you're chasing this dream because you realize, you know, and a lot of people again that are out on the independent wrestling scene, even, even musicians or anyone that's out there that's hustling, you realize at some point you're kind of spending money to chase your dream. And at yep. some point I remember just like, well, like, what are you doing? You know, you have a family, like this isn't going to happen. Like, you know, it's a, and um, yeah, it, one thing leads to another. I literally had to go up to Hunter. And basically asked for my job because as the Cruiserweight Classic concluded, they were bringing guys back for NXT, you know, shots. They were doing like a little dark match before NXT here and there. Uh, some guys were getting placed on the show. And, you know, one by one, everyone starts getting contracts like Tony Nese, Drew Gulak, Lince Dorado. And I'm just not getting a contract. And I remember it was, I want to say like the fourth or fifth time I was at NXT. And I very like sheepishly went up to Hunter and I was like, Hey man, like what's the deal? Like, you know, when yeah. you know, you've seen me like four or five times. Am I like, am I not good enough to be here? And Hunter gave me the whole like, Oh, you know, there's, 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 there's only so many bones and there's so many dogs and I can only give up so many bones. It's, just, it's a timing thing, you know, just, you know, keep your head up. And I was like, okay, he's politely telling me like, yeah. go away. You know, yeah. like, yeah, man, a week later I got a call. Like, hey, we'd like to sign you to a full-time deal. And I was just like, it, ha it has to be correlated, you know? Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, this is not to encourage everyone to go up to Hunter and ask for yeah. a job. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. not what I'm saying. Uh, so so when you got signed, were you aware that 205 Live was in the works and that, that, that the Cruiserweight division was about to be a, a full-time thing? So no one, no one told us that it was going to be called 205 Live if you're going to have your own show. But it was like, hey, we're going to launch this Cruiserweight division. And it's going to be a part of Raw. And, you know, this is when Mick Foley kind of introduced it. And, you know, there's going to be, uh, you know, we're going to compete for the championship. You guys are going to have your own championship. So it was very like, oh, I'm on Monday Night Raw. That was the, you know, and like, Let me cut you off there. Like, so, so you go from not having a contract 
doing the cruiserweight classic, asking for a job. And then within weeks or months, practically, you're on Raw all of a sudden. You kind of, the whole cruiserweight division at first basically bypassed NXT, aside from, as you said, a few shots here and there. And it was kind of weird. And this isn't like a, a shot at NXT at all, but I was kind of confused because I wanted to go to the BC. I wanted to yeah. train with Norman Smiley, you know, like that's what I wanted to do. And I remember showing up and, you know, cause you have to move through Orlando and all this stuff. And, you know, I kind of, Hey, so when's, when do I come? And they go, you don't, you're not, I, I actually wasn't allowed to come, you know, because I wasn't part of the NXT process. Oh. And I remember like sitting in Orlando, you know, because my wife was pregnant at the time. So I wasn't going to have her move all the way to Orlando. I have no idea what the schedule is going to be like. I don't know if I'm on live events. I don't know if I'm on the NXT loops. I don't know anything. So I said, absolutely not. You're staying back here. We just bought a house. So I buy, I, I'm sorry, I rent the cheapest, crappiest apartment in Orlando because it's just me and I can man it up and I could suck it up. And again, my wife's pregnant at the time. And I don't know why I, I kind of just told her everything's going to be all right. Give me six months. Like, give me six months to figure it out to see if I can hang here. And I'm going to, and I'm going to, I promise I'll, I'll move back. And five months and some weeks or something like that, I, again, I go up to Hunter and I said, Hey, uh, my son's due, uh, this day. And if it's possible, I'd like to at least be home for a few weeks. I'll, I'll still come to work, but can I just, can I just be home? And he like pulls me aside and he says, go home and be a father. And I was like, like, go home, go home. He's like, go home. And I was like, so I didn't tell anybody I literally landed from, uh, our, our TV shot and I packed up everything in my car and just drove straight to Chicago uh, went and did TV the following week. And as soon as I landed, my, my wife went into labor and oh, wow, that's we, cool, we, we made, and we made it, man. And I was there for, for my son's birth. So yeah, it, like to, to the point where you're saying everything here is zero to a hundred, right? You go from doing mm -hmm. nothing to like you're on Monday night raw, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, you gotta, you gotta be ready. It was really wild. I mean, even, even for me being on the, the side of the business that I am, the cruiserweight division in the two Oh five live thing kind of came out of left field overnight. I remember being right. told maybe a week in advance that I would be calling 205 Live and it was going to happen what after after SmackDown I think we were doing it at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was live and it was it was live it was this new entity no one knew what it was. We didn't know here I am calling I'm calling these matches and trying to tell these stories but we don't really know what's happening. It was like this half-baked process that just kind of came out into the world. And it's here's the thing I 100% appreciate my time in 205 Live, right? Like, I, I looked at this past episode of Monday Night Raw. You had me, Cedric Alexander, Drew Gulak, Akira Tozawa, Lindsay Dorado, Grandma, all these alumni from 205 that right. have taken a large portion of Raw. So you can't deny uh, Buddy Murphy and a major storyline on SmackDown. Like, you can see how 205 has been a process, has developed these new stars that are now moving on to bigger and better opportunities. But here's the thing it was absolutely half baked. Um, 205 going on after SmackDown was the equivalent to an opening band going on after Metallica. Yep. No one, no one's there to see them that, you know, uh, and I've told the story before Arya Devari and myself were sitting in gorilla one day and we look up at the, the monitor and it's Randy Orton versus John Cena in a two out of three falls match to end SmackDown. The place is going nuts. You know, there's this crazy match and we just look at each other like, what are, what are we going to do? You know? <laughs> so I, I think, I don't want to call it the problem, but I think the thing that was overlooked was that 205 was new. New superstars are, are being presented. If you gave us Rey Mysterio, you could put 205 Live on his back 
and he can create this brand because now at least there's immediate interest in Ray, which therefore there's interest in the show. And now you right. put Buddy Murphy against Ray, and now they do like now you're building Buddy. And then once Buddy's established, you put me in there. Like there's right. a process. I new guys, new characters, new show. Off you go. You guys were just the redheaded stepchildren, well, man. Yeah, yeah. Let's just be what it was. And you know, honestly, that that kind of helped because you kind of find out what you're made of. Talk to me a little bit more about working with Murphy because I know that was that was a, a rivalry that sort of set you guys both on a, an upward trajectory. You kind of definitely brought the best out of one another. What was that like? And talk to me a little bit more about having that chip on your shoulder. I think that the, the chip on your shoulder just develops over time when you see that you're, you know, I don't want to call them home runs, but you step up to play and you're always hitting these zingers and you're expecting kind of more and it's forgotten. Um, for me, that's what I'm personally going through right now. I feel like you put me in a position I've always delivered. I've asked, when have I not delivered? When have I failed you? When have I dropped the ball? And when people in the room look around, we, we don't, then what's going on? So I still carry that chip on my shoulder, you know? Uh, as far as Murphy, man, like I, everybody has that one guy that they, me and Murphy never met each other before. I met him on 205 Live uh, during the uh, Cruiserweight tournament that would determine who was going to go to WrestleMania to win the Cruiserweight Championship. This is kind of when 205 had this reboot. Right. Um, that was the first time I met Murphy. And uh, I think obviously the chemistry speaks for itself. We just kind of gelled. I know as far as... Uh, mindsets. I'm more, I like to think of myself as more Shakespeare and moments. And I want to build it. Well, Murphy just has these really insane, like I've never seen these before ideas. So I think it was kind of like the perfect marriage as far as, you know, uh, two minds kind of meeting together. Um, he's a guy like he, he believes he deserves the world too. I believe I, de I deserve the world. So like when you have that healthy competition with each other and you're pushing each other, um, magic like that happens we had a match uh at survivor series for the cruiserweight title and i remember just telling him i was like hey man like this card's loaded we're gonna beat the hell out of each other and that's not something to say to murphy he's a, oh, he's a big dude <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so i've uh, you know i got a few lewis teeth because of him but um i've always enjoyed my time with him after the match during the match is a little rough but after the match i always go back and i and i, and I realized what me and him accomplished together so uh i'll, I'll I'll, I'll gladly, you know, perform with Buddy Murphy any day. Would you, would it be fair to say that you felt a little pigeonholed in in the cruiserweight division? Again, two hundred five was just so uh, draining because I didn't care what I was doing; I was giving everything. Uh, if and there's nothing more humbling than you know making an entrance and you look up to the crowd and you see people just leaving because they just saw John Cena versus Randy Orton. They don't care about Mustafa Ali, so. Now you're just even more like, and so we were just go back and watch those matches. If you haven't, like you see a, a group of very determined young men that were like, okay, walk away while I perform. And I loved, you know, after the match, you know, seeing some tweet online where people like, LOL to the people that left the building early, you guys yeah. just missed. And it's like, yeah, good. You know, like I, I, I want you to feel bad that you missed this. And it's like, you know, I always felt like that first run of 205 Live after the reboot is kind of like when we started finding our groove, but then, you know, I got plucked and then Murphy got plucked and then, and it's like this foundation that was kind of sizzling. Obviously, I'm grateful for the opportunities that I'm, I'm doing uh, now, but yeah, 205, you know, I said that we're going to build this brick by brick night after night. That was my like thing that I, I would constantly say. And I realized what we were really doing is we're building ourselves as superstars. So I'm forever, forever waving the flag of 205 Live. 
So you mentioned finally getting plucked from 205 Live, and, and you started on SmackDown, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Correct, correct. What, what does this feel like now, personally? You've done, you've put in your time at 205 Live. Now you have the stage that you have so desired, theoretically. What's going through your mind now, knowing that you, Mustafa Ali, have, have transcended the, the cruiserweight division, uh, as you and Murphy would, would go on to do, and the, the guys you just named with Cedric and everybody. But you were really kind of the first to, to break right. out. What, what did that feel like for you? Uh, I remember it was like, oh, I was, the, I was the last one to be invited in, you know, to 205 Lab, but I'm the first guy to leave. So I was found the irony in that. Uh, it was a lot of pressure because, again, you just don't know. I show up to TV one day and they go, hey, you're wrestling the WWE champion, Daniel Bryan, on SmackDown, and it's the first segment. And you have an in-ring promo with him and this, and then there's aftermath and you're just like, you know, I'm Ali, right? Like, yeah, like even at then, you know, they were, at the time, uh, road dog was producing uh, SmackDown. So it was very clearly explained to me. This is a one-time deal. You're not full-time on SmackDown. This is just an opportunity for you to get some, bu- and you know, um, Brian being as gracious as he always is, it made sure that I made an impact. Um, and that's another guy, man. I he'll never really confirm to me what happened. And then, yeah, I made the most of that opportunity, and that turned into coming back to TV next week, and then being told there that hey, you're no longer on 205. You were a full time member of SmackDown, and you're in the main event tonight. So it's like again, like we just talked about, everything's zero to hundred here. Like you, you show up one day, and you're you're wrestling the WWE champion on on national television. So now you're going 100 miles an hour, to your point. You're wrestling against the WWE champion. It's SmackDown. This is basically the pinnacle of what we're doing at the time. And you continued to build. It was like slow and steady. You started seeing a lot more Ali, a lot more Ali. And then you find yourself with the opportunity at, forgive me, I don't remember the, the pay-per-view. Elimination that, Chamber. Elimination Chamber. That's what it was. Yeah. And yeah. you suffered the injury. Walk, walk me back through this. My, my memory is hazy because I call too yeah, much. Yeah, you know, that that's always like, it's a, it's, I don't want to say it's like, it's a hard topic for me, but it's, I hate what ifs. I, I hate them, right? And there's nothing you can do about it. The thing happened with Randy. It was an accident, but my, my face got caved in. And, you know, um, I haven't really disclosed all of this, but as we all do, we, we get hit and we, we try to get back up. Yep. I got back up. I finished the match. I assured everyone I was fine. I really thought I was fine to, to yeah. be fully clear. I wasn't hiding anything. I really thought it was just a really bad black guy. I knew where I was, you know, they did the test. I was good. And then later that night I have to go back out for a big kind of, you know, melee finish. And, uh, Eric Rowan ends up grabbing me by the face and doing like the claw choke slam thing on the table. And I remember just laying on the table going, ah, systems check. I'm able to get up on my own. I go, okay, I feel fine. I'm okay. I get word that for next week, I'm in a gauntlet match. And and the plan is to, to kind of make Mustafa Ali that night. So now I'm, now I'm realizing this is my moment. They're, they're building me up going into this big elimination chamber pay-per-view for the WWE championship. This is what I've been working for my entire life, 17 years of, you know, the whole blood, sweat and tears, broken bones, missing everything. Like, this is it. This is my yeah. moment. And we have um, like a live event loop leading into that TV. And it was at one point, it was a tag match. I take a turnbuckle, which I've taken a million times. And I get to the back and I end up sitting like Indian style right by Gorilla. And you you know long enough that you walk by someone sitting like, what are you? Yeah. That's odd, right? Yeah. So I remember uh, my good friend, uh, Jason Harris, who's a referee over on SmackDown, walked by. He goes, hey, kid, you good? And I go, Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, crouches down. He says, Are you good? I go, Yeah, 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 yeah. 
you know, he's asking me something and he goes and like he should have when told the doc. And I know they took me in to, to get checked out. And, um, they, you know, you're sitting on the medical table and I'm like gripping the edge of the table because I know if I let go, I'm going to tip over. Like I'm just gripping it. And doc goes, let me see your hands. And I'm like being super defensive, argumentative. Why? This is dumb. I'm fine. He goes, Ali, let me see your hands. And apparently as soon as I picked up my hands, I just tilted over. And that was it, man. They they pulled me. And I, I remember like sitting in the hotel room that night trying not to cry because I know there's no way they're going to let me perform on SmackDown. And because of that, there's no way. And I'm like, you know, how long, you know, what's the, you know, can I, can I come back in five days? And I go, dude, you're, you're out for a while, you know, and then you go get the MRIs done. And, you know, from what I was told, they go, yo, it was, it was a pretty bad hit that you took. You need, you're going to need some time off. And, you know, the announcements made that Kofi's replacing uh, me. And then we all know what happens, man. I Kofi goes say, on a historic that, run. That launched Kofi mania. Right. And it's like, okay, silver lining, right? Great guy gets this awesome opportunity. But the bitterness that I have towards that isn't directed uh, specifically at Kofi. It's that I, I, I came back, you know, and there was a story right there. There's a story with Randy. There's a story with Kofi. Eventually, the, there's a story with Brock and Money in the Bank. Like, there's all these layups that had presented themselves. And I came back and I was ready and I had all nothing. So therein lies like kind of like this realization that like, you know, was I ever going to be the guy, you know, cause you know, there's these rumors flowing around that Ali was going to head into WrestleMania. You don't know because all I know is I was about to beat five of the best on SmackDown going into elimination chamber. And let me ask you, do you not think that I could steal the show inside elimination chamber knowing what I'm capable of? That was my night. So I guarantee you I was heading to WrestleMania. And that's where all this baggage and this, uh, this, this, what if, and this, this thing that's going to drive me crazy for the rest of my life. What if I didn't get hurt? Well, I, I can attest firsthand because I know there were multiple occasions where you would pull me aside and just chat or, or throw an idea past me because uh, this is after you came back because I, right. I can see it in your eyes. Hey man, I was, I was catching fire. I was heating up and then boom, injuries happen. And you know, you can, you can, make 50 different excuses. It's the nature of the business. I mean, Kofi mania happened, change of plans. I mean, the only right. thing for certain in this business is that nothing is for certain. Right. But I remember, I remember talking to you and you saying, man, I've thrown every idea I have at the wall. I've talked to everybody about everything. I've thought about doing this. I've suggested that. And I, I knew you were, you were beating your head against the wall. And to be perfectly honest, you're not the only one that I've, I've remembered, you know, having those similar conversations right. with. That's, that's the nature of the, of the beast. When did it finally occur to you or click to where something's got to change and you're going to come up with something, something new? You know, it was, um, it was kind of, this sounds really weird. It's kind of a conversation I have with myself where, you know, um, the, the, the Fox deal had happened with SmackDown and, you know, you know, you always hear these things, Oh, Fox really likes you and you're going to be featured and we're going to, we got something planned for you, but you kind of look at everything that happened. Like I mentioned, like the Kofi thing, the Randy thing, the Brock thing, literally having the briefcase in my hand in and coming right. out. So with that, I go, okay, I'm going to look myself in the mirror and I'm going to go this, the problem is you, which kind of sucks to, as a performer, right? Like how do I adapt?
Now you are the de facto leader of uh, Retribution. How cool is it to have a dynamic with with some guys that have traveled the world and actually do share some these similar sentiments of the frustration? I mean, you got a guy who was Slapjack, as we know him now, we recall as Shane Thorne. He was even on Raw a few times. Uh, but uh, he's been in the system for a long time. You know, same thing with, with you. You've got all, all the members have been in WWE or NXT in some iteration. And now it's it's the, you guys all share that common bond of it. And they've all had a moment that was taken away from them. We have uh, Mace that was doing great on Raw commentary, and then Brock simply comes out and puts him through a table, and now he's he's done. He never came back. He didn't they return. They forgot how uh, to speak. Yeah, yeah, right. We have uh, Dijakovic, uh, T-Bar, that was choked out by Karrion Cross, and his best friend Keith Lee watched, and then Keith Lee goes up to the main roster, leaving Dijakovic with nothing. Mia Yim was at a uh, takeover pay-per-view and was taken out before a war games match was never, you know, the, the person that took her out was never reprimanded. Like you have all these stories about these guys that have had guys and girls that have had something taken away from them and nothing has happened. So the, the sentiment of uh, a chip on your shoulder is, is very appropriate for retribution. As far as opportunity. Yeah, man, I went from a guy that was sitting at home at, for seven months to a guy that has seven segments now in raw, you know, like I, I am built for this. I am ready for this. Like I, I've been, what I'm, what I'm asking for is what I'm finally getting. I've been asking for a story. What better story to tell than your, your story and, and retribution is me. Like retribution is, I, I felt overlooked. I felt that the company uh, uh, looks at profit over people uh, I felt that uh, what my name is and what I look like has defined me to some extent and has inhibited me from growing. And, um, you know, this is a small little tidbit. I know people love to kind of poke fun at like Slapjack and the and the, the stupid mask. Um, there's so much art in this story that you're kind of, I, I knew a lot of it was going to go over people's heads. Imagine, um, imagine, this is just a crazy concept. Imagine having people make preconceived ideas about you because of your name and what you look like. I'll let that sit for a little bit because you guys can all resonate. Imagine a guy named Mustafa Ali renaming people so that they could understand what it feels like to be judged by your name and what you look like. Go ahead, internet. Continue to make fun of like puppets because you guys don't appreciate real art. Corey Graves with the, yeah. Go ahead and let that process for a second. You, what a stupid name. Oh, he looks like an idiot. He's not going to. Yeah. That's what I've been dealing with for 17 years. Art, ladies and gentlemen. But you, you couldn't see it if it slapped you in the face. I feel like it just slapped me in the face. Damn, dude. That's that, Seriously, that's he- it's so simple and heavy, but I, I would have never looked at it like that. But when you explain it, damn, dude, that was. Give, give, us, give us time to tell a story. Every, we live in a we live in a day and age now, Corey, where people want to push a button and they want to know everything, right? You watch an episode and you want to know what happened next week, so you look it up online for sport. Like, let us tell a story. Sit down, shut up, and watch it and enjoy it, because I'm I'm leading the charge on this one, ladies and gentlemen. I do not drop the ball. I I love it, man. I absolutely <laughs> love it, especially when you lay it out like that, man. I, I'm not gonna lie; it changed my perspective of of things whenever it's explained and, and let it all come to fruition. Not to put the cart before the horse, but now Mustafa Ali and Retribution are Monday Night Raw. You guys have free reign of the place. What are you looking forward to uh, for not only yourself, but the rest of Retribution in the months to come? Like I said, I keep using this word story. I think, I think if people actually pay attention and give it a shot, they will be 
enthralled by the fact that we are taking these really small elements, something as so small as the name that people completely just went over their head. Look for what I'm saying. One of the first things I said uh, after uh, revealing myself as the leader of Retribution, we had a, uh, a backstage uh, promo. And I said, this company couldn't figure out how to make a buck off of someone named Mustafa Ali. The weight of that, that I got to say that on the US, like, and it was just overlooked because people are like, the guy behind him is wearing a dumb mask. Look at what I'm saying, what we're doing. I am making a promise and a warning to every Raw superstar that just because you're done with the past doesn't mean that the past is done with you. Every single one of us have been wronged in the past. So we have made it our personal mission to be judge, jury, and executioner. Your sins aren't forgiven until they're punished. This is Retribution's motto. So anyone that has done wrong, good or bad, anyone, if you've done wrong, retribution will find you. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic because you don't know who's next. Well, I was almost next because someone swung a baseball bat and nearly took my head clean off my shoulders. And I didn't do anything I, wrong. I sent, I sent an email to that guy right away. He was taking that. <laughs> I was like, you don't mess with Corey. Corey gets a pass. Corey's taking care of me. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, before I let you go, man, any, any parting words for the, uh, the ATB faithful? You know, I'm very, very thankful for this new role because I've realized uh, our audience is is, is passionate, um, is impatient, is uh, empowering, is everything. Uh, I'm very, very thankful for this role because I feel like I'm finally going to get a, an opportunity, a real opportunity to tell a story. And that's all I've wanted to do. You know, it's there's a lot of troubling times. And if we're able to provide somewhat of an escape from you, uh, escape from reality for you, cool. I want to be able to do that, but I also want to be able to remind you of really real issues as well. I go back to that line of saying, you know, this company couldn't make a buck off of someone named Mustafa Lee. Realize the weight of that. Like I'm throwing some knowledge away and I'm hoping you're being able to pick it up while being entertained. Um, and uh, all I can say is please be patient because I, I, I finally have the ball in my hands and I'm not dropping it. So just watch, boo, cheer, yell, do whatever the hell you want to do. But just... Let, let us tell the story. And I, and I guarantee you it's, it's going to be a good one. Well, my man, I can't wait to see how the story plays out. I, I'm honestly, I'm a fan of your persistence, your tenacity. And, and now the fact that you forcing the world to take notice, no longer <laughs> waiting for the ball, just take it out of somebody else's hands, man. You know, I, I love it. Love it for you. I appreciate you hanging out with me for a little while today. Uh, you always have a platform on ATB. Corey, I appreciate that. I want to thank Ali one more time for hanging out, joining After the Bell. Fascinating, interesting human being. I think he's got a bright future. I think he needs to work on that frustration part a little bit. But if you're not following After the Bell, do so at After the Bell WWE on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Use the hashtag After the Bell. If you're using Apple Podcasts, shoot us five stars. Por favor, it helps spread the word. I mean, Ali came on the show. I mean, he doesn't even like me. He doesn't like WWE, and he loves After the Bell. So you should give it five stars or more. And if you're using an Android, ATB's on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. So never, ever, 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 ever miss an episode. I am at WWE Graves, should you be so inclined. And I will be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE After the Bell. If you've never been to the Maryland Renaissance Festival, 
you don't know what you're missing. There's so much to see and do. It's like a 16th century theme park with shops and pubs, food and games, live jousting, crafts and music, 10 stages with nonstop entertainment. Fun for the whole family. Saturdays, Sundays, and Labor Day Monday through October 24th. For tickets, visit MarylandRenaissanceFestival.com. Save big on admission through September 12th. Near Annapolis, the Maryland Renaissance Festival. Time travel to fun.